You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Representative Ken Buck, the top Republican on the House Judiciary Antitrust Subcommittee, joins Washington Post Live to discuss proposed legislation to rein in tech giants and the potential overhaul of decades-old competition laws. Let's listen. Good morning. I'm Michael Duffy, opinions editor-at-large at the Washington Post, and welcome to Washington Post Live and another in our series about the 117th Congress. Our guest this morning is Representative Ken Buck from the 4th District of Colorado and the top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee's Antitrust Subcommittee. Welcome and thank you for joining us, Congressman. Thank you. It's good to be here. Let's begin with a major development in your committee in Congress this week when the House Judiciary Committee narrowly passed a six-bill package aimed at barring big tap or restricting it from favoring their own products on their platforms. Uh, you were a key co-sponsor of uh, all of these bills. Um, why is this important now? It's important because we have four corporations in America that are too big, and we need to make sure that we in increase competition and we increase consumer choice and we, uh, we open the marketplace up to innovation. And these four companies, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, have suppressed competition in, in the marketplace. And so uh, this is really a starting point. I can't emphasize that enough. This is not uh, the way these bills will look when they reach President Biden's desk, if they reach President Biden's desk. But these are uh, ideas. Uh, they're ideas that have gone through an 18-month investigation, uh, now a, a markup. Uh, they are going to survive uh, a process on the House floor. And, and we call that um, in Congress regular order. And it's really important that things go through regular order and very few things do. And so I'm really happy that these bills are uh, moving forward through regular order because I think it makes them stronger. Uh, do some of, some of these measures stem from a feeling, uh, at least uh, by you or others, that our antitrust laws are out of date, antiquated, 100 years old, and don't fit this economy? Yeah, the antitrust laws. So, so there are two major antitrust laws that, that really moved America forward in, in the great economy that we have now. The Sherman Act was passed in the late 1800s. The uh, Clayton Act was passed in the early 1900s. The Sherman Act was passed in response to uh, the monopolies, uh, the Rockefeller monopolies, the, the uh, railroads, coal companies, steel companies. Um, the Clayton Act was passed to stop the mergers and acquisitions, the, the, the major companies in America gobbling up the uh, other smaller companies. The, the problem is that when those two pieces of legislation were passed, um, there were monopolies in America, but they weren't worldwide monopolies. There were still uh, English monopolies and, and other uh, large corporations that, that were operating around the world. What we see now four companies that, that uh, have, have revenue that is in excess of the, uh, the gross national product of all but a handful of countries. And these four corporations exercise a huge amount of, uh, of power uh, in a whole new economic area. This, this high-tech digital marketplace is something that's uh, new and, and different, and the laws uh, do not apply because Congress hasn't acted, and that's really the problem. The courts have had to fill in the blanks in, in the last 50 or 60 years, and, and the courts haven't gotten it right all the time, and Congress needs to do its job 
and uh, fulfill its Article One responsibilities. One part of the measures that the committee acted on this week would prevent companies like Facebook and Google from discriminating uh, against a similar business. How would that work in the legislation? Well, uh, so um, Google, for example, uh, has um, uh, Apple Music, and Spotify has an app on Google. And Google charges Spotify a 30% surcharge, a special fee, to operate on its platform, and and in that way discriminates against Spotify. So you, if you go to the Apple uh, App Store. You can get uh, Apple Music for $9.99, and you can get um, iTunes or a Spotify rather for uh, $12.99. And that that price difference hurts consumers, and it's a direct result of the App Store having a monopoly and exerting its influence to to try to benefit or preference its own product. One of the other measures that uh, moved this week was uh, a, a a provision that would allow customers to transport their data from one platform to another rather than keep it where they started. Uh, what's the significance of that and how important is it? I think it's uh, really essential. And, and if we talk about any of the bills that occurred, uh, you know, one of the bills has to do with getting uh, some more resources to the FTC and the Department of Justice. They actually are operating with less resources now than they had 10 years ago. And so that's an important provision. There are a few important provisions. But th this this idea of portability is one of my favorites. It, it, it originated in the uh, 1996 Telecommunications Act, which gave consumers the ability to take their cell phone number from one cell phone carrier to another. And before that happened, uh, someone was stuck with a carrier and that carrier could increase uh, rates. And you didn't want to move because you had to tell all your friends, neighbors, others uh, that uh, you had a new phone number and, and so it really uh, inhibited the marketplace. And the idea that someone can take their digital file from Google and go to a competitor and uh, try to uh, uh, negotiate with a competitor, you may not want anybody to know about what you search for, or you may be willing to let somebody uh, advert or sell your search history to advertisers and, uh, and give you a benefit in return. But that data, your digital file, is your property. It's not the property of the search engine. And, and as we move forward, we have to understand that uh, when we empower consumers that way, they will make choices in the marketplace which will create competition. Is, is this protection of, of personal privacy something that uh, has an, uh, a notable amount of bipartisan support? I think, I think these ideas uh, have bipartisan support. Privacy, competition, um, uh, making sure that we hold these tech giants accountable, all those things have bipartisan support. The, the devil is in the details, and, and that's really where we find uh, the, the fault line in the Republican Party. Uh, there are a lot of Republicans that are more concerned about big government than they are big tech. And, and I think that uh, the, the key is to find that, that, that sweet spot in the middle where we can convince Republicans that we're not empowering the Biden administration, we're not empowering big government and, and, and bureaucrats and all the, the, the buzzwords that, that Republicans like to use, but rather we are making sure that we hold big tech accountable. And, and uh, there are uh, many instances of censorship uh, of the right 
Um, and I'm sure there are instances of censorship of the left. But allowing these four giants uh, to uh, control information that is distributed in this country is dangerous. And so I think that uh, when you talk about privacy and some of these other issues, they're very popular across the board. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what the uh, uh, headwall of lobbying against these measures, and I suspect others still to come, has looked like and how that has changed in your view. Uh, uh, the companies hire very large lobbying uh, armies. Uh, you surely encountered them. Uh, what does that look like as uh, someone involved in the legislation? Well, I have to tell you, I'm really blessed because they've given up on me. Uh, they, they don't send their lobbyists to my office. They know where I'm coming from and, and they know what my goals are. And so uh, I don't see a lot of lobbyists in my office or uh, off the floor of the house or, or anywhere else for that matter. Uh, but, but what they've done is they've done something that's really pretty incredible. And, and, and they have very bright people and they have almost unlimited resources. And uh, the estimates that I've seen are that they spend more than $50 million a year in Washington, D.C. to maintain their monopoly status. Uh, but what they've done is they've gone and they've given large contributions to uh, a lot of different conservative groups. And those large contributions uh, give them access to the conservative groups and allow them to influence policy from conservative groups. They have also obviously given uh, money to members and they have given money to third party groups who give money to members. And so they have done their best to influence uh, conservative policy. And I'm sure they do the same on the left. Uh, I'm just not aware of it, but they do their, their best to influence conservative policy um, by having their tentacles in all areas of Washington, D.C. How do you respond to uh, members of your own party who suggest that, as you kind of noted a minute ago, that the, this particular package doesn't go far enough to combat what they see as an anti-conservative bias on the platforms? Is that still to come? What, what's, your, what's your response to those, those suggestions? Well, I, I'm, I'm in favor of an all of the above approach. If, if they want to deal, if others want to deal with Section 230, I absolutely will take a, a look at that. I'm opposed to having government decide what is good speech or bad speech or what is dangerous speech or uh, uh, you know making decisions about content for for purposes of, of moderating a, a platform but I'm absolutely in favor of making sure that uh, if these companies and they have a they have a First Amendment right to uh, put whatever they want on their platforms and, and not put whatever they want on their platforms and so uh, I get where conservatives are coming from from uh, in that effort. What I think is really important for people to understand is that we don't have Americans complaining about censorship with cable news. We have uh, different uh, news channels and they have different biases and people recognize that, that one has a, a right-leaning bias and one has a left-leaning bias. But the idea that you can go and, and watch a cable news show and feel comfortable with the information that's being delivered is an important idea. The same with newspapers. We have some newspapers on the right, some newspapers on the left, some newspapers in the middle. The, uh, the, the, and, and there is bias uh, with, with news organizations. What we have with Google is they determine what the algorithm is and who's going to benefit and who's going to lose. And by doing that, they are controlling the information. If we have five Googles, people will have a choice where they want to go and get their information from and how they want to search. Uh, you had said earlier that uh, uh, the antitrust laws needed an overhaul. 
Um, what about the regulatory agencies that are empowered by those laws? Do we have the right arrangement of um, enforcers and overseers and uh, all the things that um, make the rules and regulations that actually, uh, you know, bring the law into, you know, actually <laughs> make the laws work? Uh, does your legislation, the six bills, contemplate any change in the way we are arrayed as a government? Uh, so uh, I think Mike Lee, uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah, has a bill that would um, move the FTC under the Department of Justice Antitrust Division. I'm taking a, a hard look at that bill and, and seeing if that makes sense from my perspective. So you've got two agencies, and they communicate and, and they coordinate their activities so that uh, they don't both uh, examine a merger, they don't both um, uh, file a lawsuit against the same uh, tech giant or, or other company that's involved in, in monopolistic behavior. Uh, but uh, they are they are two separate entities and really with two different um, structures. The the antitrust division is underneath the attorney general, a cabinet uh, level of, uh, appointment, and the uh, FTC is under a commission, and, and uh, the majority of that commission uh, survives from one administration to the next, so there's some continuity. So they have two two different structures, and, and it's really reflected in their, uh, in their work. But I, I think that uh, examining those agencies and, and having more transparency so that the public knows that they are, they are involved in uh, truly antitrust work and, and not in political activity, uh, I think is really important. And so there are a lot of things I think we need to look at uh, as these bills move forward to assure the American people that we're not just giving uh, money to agencies so that they can act in any way they want, but rather we are giving money uh, to agencies to enforce the laws that Congress passes. You hinted at this topic there would be other measures perhaps to come on top of uh, this first round. Do you think at the end of it, of the day, whenever this uh, sort of uh, overhaul of our antitrust approach is done, um, and that might be a few years, uh, that we'll still have those two agencies? Or do you think uh, that's a fault line for uh, parties that, um, do, you get, do you think those will both survive, I guess, is the question. I know, you know I survive, we'll survive, but survive, will the FTC survive? Yeah, that's the question. Yeah. I think they, that the FTC survives as Congress, and, and what we look at uh, down the road when we're getting into more of the antitrust bills may be some sort of compromise um, based on resources or, or otherwise, or at least, you know, I, I was a federal prosecutor for 15 years, and the overlap with the FBI and, and the uh, DEA is significant. The overlap with the FBI and the Marshal Service in, in apprehending fugitives is significant. And so it's not the first time in, in the federal government that we've been, we have overlap or uh, dual uh, jurisdiction for, uh, for certain areas. But uh, I do think that um, if it's inefficient, if there are ways that government can save money and produce a better result, we should, we should certainly look at that. That's a thoughtful reference. Um, you and Democratic Chairman of the House Judiciary Subcommittee, um, uh, Representative Dave Cicilline of Rhode Island, worked closely uh, to get these measures out of committee. Um, uh, 
Talk to me a little bit more about why this actually engenders a, a rare moment of bipartisanship in, in, in Washington. What about th these uh, issues seems to bring the parties together? Well, it's a great question. I, I think first, um, for your viewers' uh, benefit, um, uh, David Cicilline and, and Ken Buck have probably voted the same way. Um, you, you could count the number of times on one hand. Uh, we are not just from different parties, but we are from different sides of different parties. We uh, are pretty far apart on, on the political spectrum. When it comes to antitrust work, uh, for, for different reasons, and it's often why, uh, you know, I'm, I'm somebody that, that believes that uh, uh, Congress should take control again of its war power authority. Um, mm -hmm. And there are a number of conservatives like me on the right who advocate for that. And there are a number of progressives on the left who advocate for it. And it's the folks in the middle who are, are objecting to that. And so often, not often, but, but sometimes you'll see for different reasons, uh, folks on the right and left that uh, agree. And, and this is one of those cases where uh, we don't necessarily agree on the reason for reigning in big tech, but we absolutely recognize the need to do so and, and have had a good uh, I, I think productive working relationship throughout the investigation, the 18-month investigation, and uh, up to this point. So this this effort really started more than uh, two years ago in in uh, moving these bills forward. I think people sometimes don't realize that um, the 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 work of compromise can take a, a much longer time than uh, simply one party moving forward. And then the other, uh, would you support the comp the other compromise that's underway at the moment that people are talking about? That's the, uh, at least appears to be a framework, at least for a trillion dollars worth of infrastructure spending over the next five or eight years. It's moving forward now, uh, appears to be anyway in the Senate. Have you, uh, have you taken a position on that yet? I haven't taken a position on it. I'm, I'm a little concerned, I'm a lot concerned, frankly, about the spending uh, in this country. And I think that uh, we are spending too much money and we've got to figure out how to rein in that spending. We're going to see some uh, inflationary effects as a result of spending. We're going to see some uh, really impact on our uh, the ability of, of companies, businesses, individuals to, to borrow money in the marketplace. There's no way to continue spending as we are without the Fed raising the interest rate, and that's going to cause even a, a more of the budget to pay off this debt, as well as uh, harm to, to uh, citizens in this country who uh, have uh, want to buy a new house and, and get into the marketplace. And typically, it affects inflation affects those who can least afford it. It affects the young people who are trying to buy their first house. It affects the, uh, the, the person who is working for some wants to start their own business. Um, and, and that's uh, really what concerns me about uh, this bill is the, the cost of it. I think we all recognize that uh, there are uh, needs, um, but a lot of the needs are state and local, um, uh, should be funded in, by state and local government. Uh, the, the problem with funding things through the federal government is the federal government prints the money, writes the check, and puts it on the debt ledger. The, state and local governments have to balance their budgets and act much more responsibly in choosing the projects that, that they need to prioritize. Uh, you represent Colorado's fourth congressional district, which for people who don't memorize their congressional maps, wraps around Denver uh, and then kind of takes up the entire eastern third of that state. 
That's a big space. Uh, talk to us a little bit, if you can, Congressman, about how your district or your state, if you wish, has changed in the last 10 years. Everyone knows it's changed a great deal, uh, demographically and economically. And where do you think it's headed? Oh, great question. Um, we have a new map uh, that's just come out this week. Um, and the commission that is uh, charged with creating the, the map for uh, Colorado's congressional districts uh, will continue to work on that map. And so the fourth congressional district right now uh, for folks to visualize touches Wyoming, Nebraska, the, the full extent of the Kansas state line, Oklahoma, New Mexico. So uh, it is a huge district. And I was talking to another member in the elevator the other day and uh, he was telling me the state he was from. And I said, you could, you could fit five or six of your states in my congressional district. And that's, that's just how big it is uh, in terms of square miles. Uh, but the uh, the changes uh, it is a it is an energy producing um, and uh, agricultural agricultural district, and so you have uh, in, in the the northern part of my district you have uh, a lot of oil and gas development. Uh, you have a lot of windmills on the eastern plains of Colorado. You've got a lot of uh, solar panels. Uh, so we, we really produce a lot of different forms of energy, but we are an energy production uh, district. And we have some of the largest corn growing counties in America, um, as well as some of the uh, biggest uh, agricultural uh, dollar wise because of the cattle uh, and, and uh, lambs and other uh, uh, meat products that we produce. Uh, uh, we have a lot we have a very uh, wealthy agricultural tradition. So uh, it hasn't changed significantly other than uh, this governor has um, put uh, severe restrictions on oil and gas drilling in Northern Colorado. And, and that has uh, really restricted the amount of production in, uh, in that area. And so we've seen oil and gas move, uh, uh, workers move out. We've seen a lot of migration from Californians moving in. Um, and I'm not sure whether they're frustrated with the political system in California or whether they are moving to a state uh, that has a lower cost of living. Um, a lot of uh, more, uh, senior, more mature uh, uh, Californians and, and folks from other states are moving into the area. So it, there has been a demographic change in, in my district, uh, not as significant as the Denver metro area, but, but still pretty significant. Uh, yesterday, Speaker uh, Pelosi announced that a select committee uh, will investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol after Senate Republicans last month uh, blocked a uh, bipartisan commission. Do you uh, support the uh, Speaker's um, move? Um, I, I don't, and, and I'll tell you why. I, I think we do need to examine January 6th. I also think we need to examine uh, violence that occurred during the summer in in. Uh, various cities uh, across America, most notably Portland. Um, I think we need to uh, look at uh, political violence and really what is dividing America. I think it's a much bigger issue than just January 6th. I understand the speaker's desire to keep the focus on January 6th. Um, and some of it is frankly myth. Uh, the idea that, that this was uh, inspired by white supremacists or that it was an armed insurrection or there was an attempted coup all that kind of language is, is really unnecessary. There are a lot of Americans uh, on the right and left that are concerned about our political system. And we need to address that concern in a mature way. I think that uh, four years ago, we, we had an investigation of a president 
uh, to determine whether there was a collusion or a conspiracy between the president's presidential campaign and Russia. Uh, now we are undergoing um, a investigation of the right um, as it pertains to the uh, the rioters, in, in my view, that uh, uh, um, uh, trespassed, invaded, however you want to put it, the, the U.S. Capitol um, on uh, on January 6th. I think uh, we should look at this in a larger way and and try to uh, give uh, some idea ideas to Congress on, on bills they can pass or incentives for state to pass, states to pass bills that would uh, make sure that, that people have more confidence in the elections and uh, try to uh, just turn down the, the heat a little bit on uh, the political rhetoric out there. Uh, one more quick question. You wrote an uh, op-ed in this newspaper uh, defending the Electoral College, in fact, just the day before the insurrection. Um, why did you defend it? Well, I, it, it, well, what I what I said in that um, uh, piece was that Congress's job on January 6th of this year was to count votes. John, Congress's job is not to pick a president um, and ignore the the will of the people. Congress's job is not to, uh, in in some way, uh, decide an election when there is no conflict presented to Congress by the state legislatures. So Congress's job is to make sure that we. Uh, pick, uh, uh, count the votes and announce what that count is. And I thought it was a constitutional issue. And I, uh, I believe that the Electoral College uh, serves an important purpose. And I felt that, that voting otherwise would undermine the credibility of the Electoral College. Well, that's all the time we have this morning. Thank you, Congressman, for taking time with us, for sharing your views. And, and uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Uh, Meanwhile, to everyone else, please continue watching at 1 p.m. Eastern time today when my colleague uh, Ann Hornaday and, uh, interviews filmmaker Morgan Neville, along with Washington Post Global Opinions uh, columnist Jason Neville. They, uh, Jason Rezaian. They will ask Neville about his new film about the life and death of Anthony Bourdain. You can always head to WashingtonPostLive.com to register and find out more information. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.